Hello listeners and welcome to the third season of Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. For First Nations people, the hope and promise of healing from addiction can be rooted in cultural interventions. However, there remains few published studies specifically examining the type and impact of these interventions. With 20 years experience uh, in recovery in the Christian community, Mark Hammersley has had extensive experience working as an educator for the Advanced Diploma in Counselling in Therapeutic Arts at Chisholm Institute over five years. He's also been the manager of Galliamble Men's Recovery Centre in St Kilda for over 11 years. At Galliamble, Mark draws on his experience as an artist to develop an art therapy program and became actively engaged in narrative therapy. He's also worked with other uh, therapists to develop new practice models, including publications and conference presentations. Mark joins us as this week's podcast guest to discuss the importance of a cultural setting free from judgment and stigma of Akuri men needing support for addiction. This includes the relationships with staff and each other that makes cultural healing possible. Mark will also take us through the formation of Galliamble, including advice they provide, service offerings, and what is important in life after rehab to keep change going. Mark Hammersley, thanks very much for joining us and sharing your journey and all the amazing work you're up to with our listeners. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Sam. Much appreciated. No, mate. It's a pleasure to have you on here. So, Mark, 23 years experience in recovery. Tell us, where did that start for you personally? Geez, on me knees, begging, <laughs> begging for recovery. Yeah, so I've got a history of drug and alcohol abuse myself and in and out of prisons to do that. And I was blessed, I suppose, that my stepfather, who was an AA member, had been um, handed me to get in recovery for about 16 years. And he hadn't lost total patience with me and was still there after all that time, even though he outlawed me for about 10 years, not to come to the family home. But yeah, yeah, so when I was ripe and ready, last time I was in prison, he gave me the AA big book, told me to read chapter five. And I felt like I had some spiritual experiences then, but still come out of prison and still Tried to do AA, but still relapsed and got a little bit of clean time up and then relapsed again for 18 months, which brought me to when I was about 31. And yeah, and I hadn't been eaten. I was probably 46 kilo. Wow. So I was nearly dead and quite insane from smoking too much marijuana and eight voices and listening to them. So yeah, you know, I got on my knees and begged uh, my high power for forgiveness for everything I'd done and the people I'd harmed in my life. And I got that one day clean again and came back at the time to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, to a meeting at Alcoholics Anonymous to say, I'm clean and I'm back. I was blessed really that the fellow there that 
was sort of secretary of the meeting or had started that meeting, knew, knew me and knew me who I was from the same area as me and chucked me the keys. And, and that was, there was that side of it. And also there was a prison pastoral team that visited the prisons as well. So that's uh, Lifegate in Frankston, Angel and Julie Rolden, who were pastors there. Yes. And I got involved with Lifegate as well in my early recovery. I'm a director on their board at the moment. 25 uh, years later. It's funny, I met the president. AA, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous. I probably should be not saying that, being anonymous, but <laughs> I'm saying that. And LifeGate. So those three things, including my stepfather, getting a sponsor and getting into recovery. Yep. That's, that's the, sort of the foundation. Did you grow up in Melbourne? I grew up in Frankston. In Frankston, okay. There's an area called the Pines, Frankston North. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges when you were trying to get clean and sober? What was probably one of the biggest challenges for you? So when I got, I hadn't worked for 16 years. So finding employment, finding a house, I needed a house. And changing thought had acted for so long. Yeah. So I actually, through Centrelink, I got sent to the Salvation Army. We had a ran a cafe in Mornington. Okay. I didn't find that extremely helpful at the time, but then from there I said to the guy at Centrelink, the disability officer at Centrelink, who wanted me to go on the pension because of my head injuries and my past experiences, but at that time I didn't want to go on the disability. He sent me to the CRS, which was Commonwealth Rehabilitation Services, and I remember the psychologist there really helped me reframe my life. So she helped reframe what I would suggest the negative storyline she helped reframe that a little bit so and then she asked me what i was interested in and i was interested in art and painting and that that i'd done in jail so she got me off to do a business course and she just showed interest in me genuine a genuine interest of care wow i suppose and that was the beginning of it tell me the role that christianity played in bringing you in helping getting you clean was that a big part of it going to the training school at lifegate where angel he does a training school and he also preaches every Sunday, which is on the internet now. But going to the training school and learning about life skills, yeah, that really helped me. And the first time I went there, I didn't go there for that reason. I went there to try and get the room so that we could have a meeting there. <laughs> and when I was told to sit down and wait and I heard what he was talking about and I thought, this stuff's going on in my life. So I got me curious and interested. So wow. I attended the school. I think it went for 12 months, but I did that for a few years. And volunteered with um, LifeGate for quite some time. Yeah, it, it played a big part. It still plays a big part. Yeah, no, that's great. And so, where did you go from then? I got jobs through attending the twelve-step programs. People in the twelve-step programs give me jobs, pushing a barrow or concreting or whatever. And eventually, I moved to the country and bought a house in the country because it was cheaper. Yeah, to go buy a house in the country and had a couple of kids that haven't seen me use drugs or alcohol and I was concreting up there and I was probably about 10 years clean when I moved back to Melbourne and started to do drug and alcohol cert four at Chisholm in Frankston. Yeah and so you worked there at Chisholm for the Chisholm Institute for about five years is that correct? Yeah that's right yeah so I did um certificate for drug and alcohol then I did diploma drug and alcohol someone suggested the arts and health and well-being cert four Mm-hmm. And the Diploma of Art Therapy, which is all the different modalities of cancelling through art. So I really found that 
It's like it set me free again. Studying drug and alcohol certificate for and diploma, I found that really hard because I never, I wasn't really a good student as a child. Yeah. But I was blessed that I had one teacher in the drug and alcohol diploma who was actually in recovery as well. And he asked me, when are you going to invest in yourself? And I wondered what that meant. But, but what I took it to mean was rather than sitting there and watching John Wayne or Tom Cruise or whatever at night to actually do a little bit of your homework and start to finish, complete that diploma. And he marked one of my assignments saying, summarising not plagiarism or something. <laughs> and I thought, if he thinks I've plagiarised it, we've done pretty good. Wow. And I owe a bit of that success in that to Michael, a friend of mine who, who I studied with, and we were, we were allowed to do assignments together. And, and then Michael suggested the art therapy diploma, and I went on to that. And then through doing that, it gave me the, the teacher, that the person that was running the art therapy at the time, John Vermero, was very, very good therapist. And he, he gave me that. He said, give yourself permission to be childlike. You're allowed to sit there and scribble in class and draw in class while he's teaching. And it just gave me that chance to go back and visit that creative self that I'd lost, trying to be a normal worker. Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. So you did 10 years sober, but you were 10 years sober when you went back to Melbourne and you started studying drug and alcohol addiction. What made, yeah. it, what made you want to go back and, and try and help people suffering? It may have been suggested by someone else. I'm not sure, but, but I did go for that interview, initial interview with Chisholm and I was really worried having a criminal history yeah. and the background that I'd led that I wasn't going to be allowed to go into the course. So I called them after the uh, when I said to one of the presenters, can I speak to you after the presentation and ran it by them. And back then you didn't really have to get a um, police check and a children's check to study. Thank God I got in the door. I suppose even volunteering with LifeGate, I knew there was a bigger purpose. And yeah. um, probably the work, the volunteer work that I'd done with the 12-step fellowships contributed to that. So tell us now with what you're up to with Gally Amble. Look, I've been here, I started here as a bus driver on a Tuesday taking clients to meetings and ended up assistant to the manager here. And then he put me forward to be manager and I, I uh, was on trial for some time. Ended up managing this place for the last, I've been here 13 years. My mother's Aboriginal. It was like coming home to the culture here yeah. because we didn't grow up in family, which is our own community, but it, it felt like coming home. And yeah, I've done, I've gone on to study after that, the art therapy, which started an art program here and got people doing meetings again. And then I, through the narrative therapist, Greg Smith, that was working here, I started to do the narrative therapy with him. And then I went on to university with Latrobe and um, Bouvery Centre to do the grad cert in narrative therapy and community work. And then I went on to do masters with narrative therapy and community work, which I studied mentoring. That was my masters with um, the Dulwich Centre in Adelaide and Melbourne University here. So for someone who couldn't really do education, well, I've done all right in that area. Nailing it. Just really trying to keep the programs going and bringing new programs in and trying to support all the clients and the staff to continue that and yeah. to keep evolving and changing and doing things new and fresh. And Mark, for those of our listeners who don't know what Gally Amble Men's Recovery Service is, do you just want to give them a bit of a, a quick spiel about what it is and who it's for? Yeah, so I work for Nagala Willembong Aboriginal Corporation in St Kilda. Nagala's been around since about 1973, maybe a little bit earlier. Or it started as Gally Amble. 
started in Burnley, then to Princess Street in St Kilda, then to Mitchell Street, and from Princess Street, the woman's house, Windsor Lubner was formed, and also the men's house was separated from the women's house, so we had Gally Amble and Windsor Lubner, and then we also got Percy Greens up to Lamba, uh-huh. which is now called Yichiwadik, and we had Marion Green, Marion Han- Hanson, Marion Green, who worked for Naguala and was one of the founders here. It was her father, Percy Green, so he worked there for a long time as well. So Naguala's grown out of that little recovery house called Galliamble, dry place on a hill, I believe, the Naguala Willembong Galliamble means, and then Windjill up there's safe place. And all. But we've got 60 staff now, and we've got outreach programs We've got housing programs, we've got issue, and we've got the three residential rehabs, and we've got quite a few other programs that work for Naguala. Yeah, and so it's so the and the one Galliamble, the one you're in, is men's a men's recovery service. That's right. Yeah, yep. and so over the 13, 13 years now, you've you've been there, right? How have you seen it progress during your time since you first started so, driving the bus? Yeah, when I first started. We had some really good workers that were here. They've had a big influence on me and the way this place has been run. One of the managers, a couple of the managers at the time and the assistant manager and councillor, particularly the councillor. So we've come from a non-clinical sort of space, a cult, more of a cultural sober up house with a 12-step sort of background to more of a clinical service. Yeah. Today our files are this about two inches to six inches thick yeah. where when I first started here they might have been a few pages so um, unfortunately that's a good thing and a bad thing so we've become a lot more focused on that clinical practice but we've tried to keep that cultural and home-like environment yeah and just respect respect for everyone particularly the clients that we're all equal not not staff and clients it's yeah, you know, we we all, all try to get along pretty good. We all do get along pretty good. Have you seen the numbers of people coming in increase over the last thirteen years, or you think that it's dropping off? I think our waiting list will tell you it's probably essentially the same. It's just the different drugs have evolved. As far as today, we have ice is the primary substance where once upon a time it was alcohol or heroin or benzos or yandy, but now it's primarily ice and other other substances. What have been some of the key things that you've had to overcome or things that you challenged you in your role at Galliamble? I think, I think politics is the first thing that come to mind. Politics within um, organisations and it's not just... Naguala, it's everywhere, even working at Chisholm. The relationships between workers and management and also being a manager but trying to be therapeutic with the clients, trying to manage people and being therapeutic is quite a difficult task. Yep. And when people come to you, what experiences lead them to to come to seek your service? So I think we have a variety of different clients. We have voluntary clients. Like I said, people might be just alcoholic or they or, or just drink alcohol or they might might be just smoking a bit or they might be using ice or there might be forensic clients that are on bail 
uh, come to us on bail or on parole or might even be have court cases coming up. There might be um, family mm-hmm. violence or disputes. Yeah. But I suppose what draws people to us the most is because we've been in business so long, there's a lot of people that know about us. Yeah. And we have a lot of clients that may come back in, in at times. It's not one, two, three strikes you're out here. It's like keep giving people a chance, yes. experience, experience a, a chance to get a circuit breaker and, and get a chance at recovery again. Yeah. So, and so would there be a fair bit of referral stuff too for people that have been there and, and uh, encouraging others to go seek help? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So we've got, yeah. a, we've got, a, um, you know, we've got support workers here mm-hmm. and uh, we have individual treatment plans. So we work with everyone where they're at. We have a transitional support at the moment. So we have uh, psychologists, counsellors, therapists, working with men. So we try to work where people are at yeah. and deal with all their issues. How long does the average person come stay? It's usually four months. Okay. We've got one fellow that's been here six months at the moment, but he's definitely ready to leave. And we've had some elders that have had to stay a bit longer, say 10 months. But the program's funded around 14 weeks. Most of our clients these days have been, with our retention rates have definitely improved over the years. Uh-huh. So we've done something right. <laughs> yeah. The people stay in the full program today, where when I first come, a lot of people just came and went. Yeah, okay. So he's there for a week or two and then take off and then you wouldn't see him again. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so is there, at the end of the 10 or 12 weeks, is there some sort of a, a transition period? Is it like uh, they have to go through an exit yeah. process or something to make sure that they're, they're ready to go? And if they're not ready, are they able to stay longer? Yeah, we have an exit plan. I think one of the first ones at eight weeks and then at 12 weeks. Yeah, we, we do that. But we have made some really good collaborative services, made some good relationships with Vincent Care, Magpie House, Mind, it used to be called Oxford. So a lot of the housing, and we have housing workers at Naguala working with all our clients to try and place them. Yeah. In the past, years ago, we never had much luck in placing people in housing, apart from private rentals and caravan parks and things like that. But we are having a lot better opportunities these days by just work, working those relationships with all the services to try and get them into those next next part of the program. And some might even go on to Dadi Mamoro or to other services. Yeah. Yeah, transition programs and things like that, yeah. What's the biggest reason that clients are staying with you? Why, why do you think they're staying the course and finishing it? Well, I think it's, I think it's especially in the last couple of years, I think it's with the clients more than more than us staff, the reason. I think people have really been weighing up their lives a lot more with COVID yeah. in the last year and a half. So we've had a – across the three rounds, we've probably had quite a few leave but because of COVID lockdown, but they also came back once the initial lockdown down scared them a bit, I suppose, or worried them a bit. And But once they got out there and realised that they needed to be, they've come back and really got stuck into it. Well, I suppose the COVID's pushed people to weigh up their life a little bit more than normal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, I mean, that's a good point. And what do you think, what are, what are they hoping for when they leave? Are they hoping for a renewed opportunity at living their best life? Are they Are they hoping to go and repair relationships what are their hopes when they 
it's a big question. I think everyone's hoping for something different. Yeah. What is really important for me is to remember these men and our women in our programs have got a really big story. Mm. They've had a bit, really big life, and it's really important to ask them the right questions around that, that type of, around their life because they have been leaders, they have been mentors, they have been mothers and fathers or cousins and brothers. They have had successes in their lives. Yeah. And, and to not let this time in their life totalise them because drugs and alcohol addiction really totalises people's lives. So, yeah, for me, it's asking the right questions and trying to find that those histories that help re- thicken, their, thicken their identity and um, it helps people develop that self-esteem again that, that can be lost through mental health, drug addiction and um, burning all the bridges that we do when we're using yeah. and drinking. Yeah. I mean, what are some of the most effective things you've seen during your time at, that really helps create a lasting impact to get people to break their addiction? I think it's the relationships, yep. the relationships that the counsellors and the workers and the clients with each other, forming with each other. Yeah, I think it's those bonds that they form through relationships. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And once they are sober and they've, they've finished the program, what's necessary for these people to do that ensures they don't slip back? What's the key things that they have to keep doing when they leave? Uh, it's an interesting question. It reminds me of um, when I first started here and I thought everyone was going to run off and be happy, joyous and free. And we had a lot of people relapsing. And I was able to go to Gordon Story, who was my um, clinical supervisor and mentor back then. And he said to me, how many clients you got? I said, I got 16. He goes, draw them up on the whiteboard. And he goes, they're, they're born here and they passed away here. Their lifeline's there. When are they all ready for uh, – when's each one of them ready for total abstinence recovery? <laughs> yeah. And I think I actually drew a part where, that, where I thought they were ready. And, but it made me come away and think about what is success in mm-hmm. drug and alcohol and what is success for people. And I think if someone can go to detox for a week, that's probably a success. If they come into rehab and they do two weeks or a month or they get to finish the program, that could be a success. I don't think it's not a success if people relapse or lapse or need to come back again. I think it's that non-judgmental approach that we need to have, that I needed to learn and have, is is the biggest success. But there is some people that, there's people here at the moment who are really embracing the program. They're doing all the Zoom meetings. That's one good thing out of COVID. We've got some fantastic Zoom meetings at the moment. They're getting sponsors. They're working these steps. They're, they're engaging with counsellors. They're engaging with the elders. So there is people that are doing those things and, and doing other types of support groups like Dardy Mamorrow and or, um, or or back wherever country they're from. And so I think, and some of, there's been so many people that have come through Gallianville as clients and ended up workers and managers and going on to run other programs. There's been so many fantastic stories come through here. Yeah. yeah. And there's been a lot of stories of people lost too who, who have not, 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 not survived yeah. addiction. So who defines the success of your clients? So like I said, it's a really difficult question to define success. So I think personally, 
the client needs to define their own success. We can have episodes of care and we can say what's successful. We can say we're retaining people. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the feedback from the person, isn't it? That um, yeah, that probably defines what's good or not so good, eh? Yeah. And mate, tell us about the importance of culturally relevant responses with alcohol and drug recovery services or rehabilitation services. Why is it important to make sure we take a holistic approach to this and embody the culture for Indigenous people? Well, I think it means everything to people, to honour people's lives and stories. And it's been great having elders that have worked here over the years too, because they not only keep that culture integrity, they teach it and share it. And But even when we haven't got Indigenous people working here, what I've always appreciated is that all of our clients bring culture. They all bring something that we can all share with each other. Yeah. So I think, so it's putting the client at the centre. Yeah. But you just can't beat having elders around. I'm very lucky that we have elders. We had an elder drop in today and was a part of our presentation this morning. So people are drawn back to Kelly Amble and they come in and check and they drop in and they ring up. And so we get, we get a lot of that. Yeah. Tell us the important about the, the culture that you even create, though, in the centre. Like having a culture that's free from judgment and stigma is obviously something that helps make people feel comfortable and trust the process. Mm, yeah, I think it's just challenging myself and challenging workers, even clients, challenging clients about the way they, they view non Aboriginal workers. So it's just tr- it's trying to keep reviewing that and keep refreshing that and yeah what's got your interest now to where you're going like where are you, what are you up to so where i'm off to is Dadi Munwaro, which is the men's healing and behavioral change service okay. in preston who are running a 24-hour hotline uh, so i'll be going across to manage the nagara program which is uh, four residential houses, mm-hmm. which I, I'm told it's the first in the world, actually, to to have residential houses for men's healing and behavioural change. Wow. So it's getting men coming into that program that have been at risk yeah. of family violence or have perpetrated family violence. So a lot of people will be friends who can come from prison mm-hmm. um, and there'll be some that are, that are volunteering to come in. They'll all volunteer to come in, but. So I think I was just been here 13 years working in drug and alcohol. You burn out for sure. And uh, even with all the supports I've had, I just felt like I was floundering a bit myself. And Alan Thorpe, who's the CEO of Darty, has been asking me to come across for a couple of years. So I finally wore down and said, you know what, I think it's time, you know. So I'm taking a little bit of a break, a few weeks off. And then I'll go across to Dali. But I'll st- my heart's here with Gally and we'll always support Gally and uh, Nagwala. And I'll probably refer more clients here uh, uh, once I'm out of here than, than while I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. But do you still get to continue on with the art therapy and, the, and that sort of stuff? Well, I'll, I'll hopefully bring that to Dali. Yeah. A bit more and, and probably get to work with clients a bit more than being up in senior management. Yeah. And in the corporate part of Nagoya, 
Have you seen, I mean, how effective is the art therapy? Oh, I think um, I think art therapy has been around for millions of years. It's not just something new. Yeah. And especially in the Indigenous community, through dance and song and movement and storytelling and artwork and painting, there's so many things. So it's not something, I think... The mobs uh, probably could um, write their own art therapy program. So I think it's um, a natural thing. But I think we've, we've, in this last 100 years or 150 years, we've become, we're all up in our heads, aren't we? You know, we've, we've lost that ability to, to realise that healing's right through. So distracted, yeah. aren't we, these days, and we're sort of so consumed with a busy lifestyle that, yeah, you can forget. Do you have any other things to say in closing, Mark? Is there anything else you want to mention? If if I can speak to anyone that's out there struggling with addiction, there is hope. Even myself, you know, there's been times when I've been really low. My mental health hasn't been good. Well, you've got to, we've got to reach out. We've got to ask someone or just tell someone that we're not doing too well, you know? Yeah. And I think it doesn't matter how, how low you go, you can always come back up. You've done it before, you can do it again. But it's just it's just reaching out and getting out of that self and that the way addiction wants to kill us and get, get free and, and ask for help. And, um, you know, we've got so many things out there today. We've got the 12-step fellowships. We've got helpline. We've got men's line. We've got the Darty line. Mm-hmm. We've got so many places where we can seek help through Naguala or so many other services across Australia. So I really think, because when you're when you're really struggling and you're really doing it hard, you, it's like you get sucked into this vortex and you just can't see out of it. Yeah. And before you know it, we can slip away. So I think it's noticing those signs and and trying to get out of there as quick as we can by um, sharing it with someone else and asking for help if we need to and not be too proud about that. Yeah. No. Well said, Mark. I think that's a, a great point. And Mate, thank you very much for the time and sharing your story with the listeners and we wish you all the best with your new role. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.